Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 491. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you've had questions about SMPs or postbacs, wondering if you need to do one, today is the episode for you. Before we jump into that, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. In this episode today, we talk about the MCAT and if you should take it to apply to an SMP. But one of the biggest questions, especially right now that students have, is they're getting their scores back, they're in the process of applying to medical school, is knowing whether or not you should retake the MCAT, if you're ready to take the MCAT potentially for the first time. And it's a very hard decision. And ultimately, you're the only one that can answer the question of if you're ready to take the MCAT. Nobody, almost nobody, feels ready to take the MCAT. But at some point, you have to take the leap. You have to trust that the work you've done to this point is enough. And if you have consistently scored well on your practice tests, not just like one time, but consistently scored well on those practice tests to go, you know what, if I get that score, I'm gonna be happy with my test, then you are ready. So make sure you're taking those full-length exams. Check out blueprintmcat.com. Sign up for a free account. You'll get a half-length diagnostic as well as full-length one from them for free. And they have nine other full-lengths that you can check out if you also need, in addition to the AAMC full-length exams, which are must-take exams. All right, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode with Dr. June Kim from Keck Graduate Institute. Dr. June Kim, welcome back to the Pre-Med Years. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I just got back from Denver for an awesome in-person conference. Got to see a lot of great colleagues, such as yourself, Dr. Ryan Gray, and so super uh, excited and pumped for the upcoming academic year. Got to hang out uh, and learn. Um, it was it was amazing seeing the passion from pre-health advisors uh, and post-bac programs and and medical schools there. Uh, just learning, collaborating, um, educating themselves on how to better serve students. So um, all of the students listening, I think hopefully you you can be rest assured that hopefully your advisors out there continually learning, just like doctors are continually learning and uh, hopefully improving their craft. That's absolutely right. 
I mean, how often have we heard that phrase, lifelong learner? Mm-hmm. It's not just a buzz phrase to use to get in. Uh, it really is a, a mindset that one has to have, especially right now, just with the rate at which new information is being discovered. So yeah. uh, learning how to learn is, is the key. I love it. Yeah, it's it's always funny when I see like the bulk of a pre-med uh, personal statement being, I want to be a doctor because I love lifelong learning. I'm like, eh, anyone who's good at their job hopefully loves lifelong learning no matter what job. That's right. just, right. if you're not learning, then just bury me already. All right. So yeah. Dr. June Kim, Senior Director and Instructor of Post Baccalaureate Programs at KGI, the Keck Graduate Institute. Uh, we're going to talk about postback programs today, and we'll we'll kind of. It's always funny, right? SMPs maybe kind of technically are postback programs because you have graduated from your undergrad sure. already. Uh, but right. we we typically consider, I think, generally postback programs are undergraduate SMPs and other master's programs are graduate. We're going to talk about uh, what students should be thinking about when it comes to postback programs. So. Let's let's talk about. I, I love always starting with a mistake. What what is the mm. biggest mistake that students make when looking for or thinking about even whether or not they should be doing a post bac or an SMP? Right. So I think sometimes the students uh, right off the bat they're making the mistake by assuming that they need one when they don't, or thinking that they don't need one when they do. So. Mm. Um, How does one know whether they need one or not? Well, first off, I mean, the way that most commonly students discover they need one is when they apply and they don't get in. And so they realize, "Uh oh, you know, maybe maybe I need a program. So um, but, you know, the way I like to uh, help students uh, conceptualize postback programs or SMPs for that matter, because one of the things that we can think about, whether it's an SMP or a postback, really, what is the sort of end goal of those programs? It's to help you be successful gaining admission into medical school, dental school, and all the different various health graduate programs. Hmm. Um, so students will typically say, well, you know, my GPA, I know my GPA is low and I wasn't successful, so I need to do a postback program. Mm-hmm. Let's think about that. Do you really need to invest in five-digit you know, a dollar amount to invest in a program that if it's purely just GPA, you could go to your local community colleges. I'm a big fan of community colleges. Some of the best teachers work at community colleges. They're focused on teaching, not research. Again, that's a pretty broad generalization. So please don't, you know, fault me for making that sort of uh, conclusion. There are individuals at the research institutions that are excellent teachers. And just as there are instructors at community colleges that maybe aren't the best teachers, but just generally speaking though, um, I think it's a very safe and, and very reasonable option for students who are looking to improve their GPA to go ahead and take classes. Um, but most oftentimes it is not the GPA, um, with students who have high GPA, because then how do those students explain why they were unsuccessful? Mm -hmm. Well, they had a 3.97, so (laughs) what, they need to go get a 4.0 now? Or, you know, students often will think it's MCAT, so I need to go get a 5.20. And so really diagnosing, and I know you have tons of resources um, for your students to be able to sort of self-examine, self-diagnose, like, hey, what what do I bring to the table? And so I think the common mistake is not accurately coming to the decision of whether you even need a program or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's so funny because one of the most common things that I see is exactly what you said. Student doesn't get in 
And the knee jerk is, oh, I need to do a post back. Oh, I need to do an SMP. And I and I talk to them. I go, well, let's look at your let's look at your application. They have a three point nine GPA, and a and a five hundred two MCAT. I'm like, you don't need an SMP. You need MCAT tutor, <laughs> right? That's instead right, of that's right. instead of thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand on a program, go spend five thousand on a tutor. And and you needed a better MCAT score. And sure, some SMPs and post programs have MCAT prep built into the program. Sure. But that's buying a lot of stuff all around the MCAT prep when you only need sure. the MCAT prep. And so it's it's such um, – and I talked about this a bunch uh, this weekend is intentionality. I think a lot of students, um, whether – they just aren't asking questions and they're just assuming or they're getting bad advice from physicians, mentors, advisors, whoever, sure. parents <laughs> um, right. of, oh, you you just need to go do this more thing, more, 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 more. And they're not taking a second and self-reflecting and going, what do, what do I need, me? What do I need right. looking at my specific information? Exactly. And, you know, I think our students out there know that medicine has evolved. It, it is about personalized medicine. It's about that precision that really tailors each sort of uh, in, uh, intervention and therapy with that particular individual. Because you could prescribe the same medication for different people and they would have different uh uh, you know, effects. So in that very same way, when students are looking at, okay, I was not successful. So what do I need? Oh, but my buddy did this. And so he was successful. Therefore, I, if I do that, I'll be successful. It's a very oversimplified <laughs> way, which I think we just need to slow down and, and think, yeah. right? And, and, you know, being a sort of a, uh, educator that's been uh, privy to teach at the elementary, uh, middle school, high school, working with undergrad, and now currently working with graduate students. Um, I think students just need to slow down and yeah. just think about things for themselves. Because oftentimes we're in such a rush, you know, um, always on the go. What, what, what should I be doing? What do I do? And, and I would, you know, challenge my students and any student out there that, you know, think through some of these uh, assumptions that you have. Right. And you and I both know that one of the most common prevalent assumption is this imaginary timeline, that this is the timeline, the timeline that you must stick to or you won't be successful. Yeah. And we all know that, you know, different infants crawl and walk and talk at different you know ages. And so it's different for each person. So I'm glad you mentioned that about sort of that individual sort of uh, approach to figuring out what you need, because you're absolutely right. Why? Why? spend 40,000 on a program when all you need is a couple thousand dollars on an MCAT tutor. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that. So let's, let's walk through those steps so that someone yeah. can do that reflection. Sure. Uh, in my application process book, my, my latest book, I have kind of a, a deep dive into, okay, you didn't get into med school. Yeah. Let's look at each piece of the puzzle of the application and figure out where potentially things went wrong. For someone specifically looking at post-bac and SMP programs, what are the questions that they should be asking themselves that lead to a, yes, this is what I need? Got it. Great question. This is one that I think students need to pay careful attention. So um, you have to 
understand that med school curriculum, and when I say med school, I mean, whether it be pharmacy school, a lot of these graduate health programs, it's, it's science-based curriculum. Yeah. And so if that is indeed the path that you want to take students, you guys need to find a program that offers science curriculum. It can't be social sciences, history, sociology, and that's not to knock the value and the importance of those important disciplines, yeah. but it has to do with everything about are the admission committees confident when they see students' accomplishment in those courses, yep. is that a reasonable predictor of how well they're going to do when they get to med school? So that's why when you're considering these types of programs, you want to find one that um, SMP by definition, those are med school courses. You have SMP students taking med school courses with medical students. So yeah. clearly there, I mean, that's uh, about as directly tangible evidence as, as you can get. Yeah. Uh, but there are other courses. Um, there's applied life sciences and there's other chemistry or engineering I've worked with students who have gotten a master's degree in organic chemistry, for example. Um, some students who have had PhDs in um, biology. So again, it's that that uh, evidence that one needs to convey to the admission committees that they are fully prepared and ready to be successful. Yeah. So it has to be a science-based curriculum. Whether it's undergrad or graduate is not as important. I think sometimes you know the students who um, are uh, just took the minimum science courses, right? There, I think some med schools, you can get away with just like eight science classes. Then you have a whole sort of list of upper division science courses that you can take. And those students can find those at your local four-year institutions through either the extension office, or you can be a non-degree seeking student status, a visiting student status. I mean, there's so many different options out there, but important is to be able to you know, demonstrate that you can do well in those science classes. So that's what I would say in terms of the curriculum when, when they're looking at these programs. Yeah, so the the big thing I think that you hit upon there is the the science, right? It needs to be science. And one of the biggest mistakes, unfortunately, that I see students uh, when they realize that, like, well, I just, I just wasted $40,000 mm. is doing an MPH. A lot of students jump on an MPH bandwagon and go, great, this is going to help me. And unfortunately, it's not the hard sciences that will help the medical schools make decisions. Uh, maybe there are other things that are useful for you, networking and and building connections in in, uh, in that way. But the the biggest thing that I always talk about is first and foremost, right? We we have the, all this discussion about holistic review of applications, but holistic review has to, and I'm on board with this, it has to happen after the medical school knows that you are academically able to do well in medical school. And do Absolutely. well doesn't mean 4.0. Uh, nope. Do well means you don't fail out and you're likely to finish in four years. Um, because that will hurt the medical school when their accreditation process happens every X number of years. And, and right. they're looking at like, why are you accepting students that aren't passing and, and need five years, need six years, or are uh, dropping out of school because they, they can't hang? So medical schools have to know. And it's to your benefit. It's to the student's benefit, yeah. right? Because if you go to school for the first year and spend $60,000 on tuition and, and room and board and all that, and you drop out because you can't hang, that those loans don't go away, unfortunately. So, yeah. And on the topic of money, I mean, think about it from the uh, the medical school's perspective, right? 
the medical school, they don't want a student dropping out. That attrition is costly, literally, yeah. because that spot will not only be there that one year, that empty seat is going to happen in the year two, year three, year four. So yeah. um, definitely they do not want to, they want to set students up for success. Yeah. And certainly you can't uh, blame uh, an institution for trying to do just that. So you have to demonstrate that you are ready. Um, and, you know, the other thing that I that I have seen among students that I work with is, well, I'm going to stop working. I'm going to stop meeting up with my friends. I'm going to stop, you know, getting together with my family. I'm only going to focus on my <laughs> academics so I could get my GPA up. Hey, hey wait. Knock, knock. <laughs> Burnout is here. <laughs> Right. There's that. And plus, yeah. you know, I, I grew up playing basketball and tennis and, you know, um, the city in which I grew up, uh, shout out to Gardena, uh, Gardena, <laughs> California. You know, I didn't have these air conditioned indoor top of the line facilities. Yeah. You play outdoors, which means that you're susceptible to wind and other, you know, natural elements, weather. And so, you know, when you're a student and you need perfect ideal conditions for you to pass your science classes, that's not exactly something that you want to convey. You want to be someone who can uh, weather those those realities of life. Things will happen. You know, things in your personal life is going to come up. Now, that's not to say that, you know, you don't attend your grandparents, you know, funeral service or anything like that. It, it just means that you have to be able to balance and have that maturity to be able to navigate all of those things. And so how do you balance schoolwork? How do you balance MCAT prep? How do you balance your personal commitments? And for those of you that also have to work, how do you juggle those, you know, hours of work that you need to put in? So um, I, I think it's just so much more than GPA and MCAT. I think that's one of the big messages I hope that your students uh, can can take away from our yeah. ta- time here together oh, is, yeah. is not just MCAT and GPA. Yeah. And, you know, I love using analogies. It's like just saying that if you're fast and strong, you're <laughs> going to be a great basketball player. Done. You're fast and strong. You're going to be a great tennis player. It's like, no, it helps. It certainly helps to be fast and strong in any sport. Yeah. But there are far more additional skills and attributes and, and you know, um, uh, competencies that one needs uh, to be successful these days in gaining admission. Yeah. I think these students are so confused because sometimes they're getting advice from physicians who went to med school, I don't know how many decades ago. And so what's worse than getting bad, uh, you know, no information is getting bad information, incorrect wow. information. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll give you a specific example um, that just happened yesterday. A A parent in a Facebook group was discussing the the fact that her daughter just got a grade back or MCAT score back and it was a 515 and they have good grades and everything else and they're like is is June 24th uh too late to apply and like no like apply great yeah. right obviously there's more right. to the story than just stats and one parent said well that score is not great it's not terrible but it's not great and and I was like it literally said a 515 isn't a great score. And and they're looking, appropriately so, as, as most people do, looking at the MSAR and mm-hmm. looking at schools where median MCAT scores are ridiculously sure. high. And right. I think we owe it to parents, to students, to advisors to give more transparent data to, sure. to them so they can make accurate um, uh, assumptions and, and decisions 
about what they should be doing. Because a 515, according to 99% of people out there, is a fantastic score that will not close any doors for a student mm-hmm. at any institution. Yep. And there's this parent that that looks at the, the MSAR data, and I don't I don't blame her for thinking this, when MSAR median numbers are like 517, 518, 519. And they, they keep creeping up and getting higher and higher. And they're, they're like, well, maybe you should retake a 515. I'm like, no, absolutely not. So how, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is kind of straying away from post-bac S&P discussion, but yeah. how do we fix that in the first place? Yeah, well, you know, we can easily bring it back. Um, I think, um, again, going back to what we originally stated, that if all you need is the MCAT, if that is your area, if that's your uh, Achilles, then Go and, and seek exactly just that. But a post and an SMP, it's, it's a lot more um, comprehensive. Yeah. Uh, some programs, the MCAT prep is built in. Whether it's done in-house, meaning they might have faculty who teach biology, chemistry, physics, they might also teach uh, and help students prepare for the MCAT. Uh, but there are so many other components to consider when uh, a student is considering doing one of these programs. Mm-hmm. First of all, I would say cost is probably their initial filter, mm-hmm. right? I mean, anytime any one of us wants to buy something on Amazon, uh, we probably base our decision on price uh, once we figured out exactly the product that we want. So in this case, um, I don't think students and parents understand fully uh, about post-bac SMPs. I think the most obvious things of consideration are, you know, uh, success rate. What What's the success rate of the program? Because mm-hmm. somehow that percentage is going to predict their chances of success, which we know is not how statistics work. So, yeah. um, but I mean, I understand it, it is a uh, quick uh, litmus for trying to gauge the quality of a program. I mean, if there's a program between 80% success rate versus 30%, I think we can all agree that 80 is the one you probably want to consider applying to. So, uh, but there are other things to look at, um, you know, whether it's uh, informal or formal, meaning that sort of are you limited to sort of the schedule and courses that they're offering or do you get to choose a la carte um, cohort model or in a non-cohort model, meaning are you taking classes just with your post students or are you mixed in with the general population of students? And in some cases, you could be a post student and not see another fellow post student in your program because you guys are not taking the same classes. Yeah. So uh, co-curricular activities, right? We know that extracurricular activities is something that is important. Why is it important? And this is where I also help students understand. It is not simply just what have you done? Because you can, we can all do things, right? Like I can uh, express very kind gestures to my family and relatives. I can do all those nice things. But if I told you I was being particularly nice to my uncle and it turned out my uncle had won the Powerball lottery, (laughs) he's going to question why I am being so nice to him, right? And it's kind of very similar where students are applying to these medical schools and trying to convey they are caring, they're compassionate, they're altruistic, they spend, you know, a thousand hours volunteering. But again, at the end of the day, just because you did those things doesn't quite reveal whether that is truly an accurate portrayal of who you are. Mm-hmm. So so this is where extracurriculars, I think students need to be a, a little bit more thoughtful than just simply, what do I need to do? Or asking their friends what they did to get in. But really asking themselves, I like 
helping people because of course that's one of the most common responses why they want to choose medicine i want to help people but in what way in what way what capacity and who is there a particular sort of population demographic that you have a passion and heart for is it kids is it the seniors um, is it immigrants? Is it uh, people with learning disabilities and physical disabilities? I mean, there's got to be some sort of specific uh, area that is of particular interest to you. Uh, and, and that's what they mean by, you know, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. And if we're being very just blunt, it, students will say, well, I'm passionate about whatever you're passionate about. That's going to help me get into the program <laughs> is the response. No, students don't do that. <laughs> But yeah, so it, it's a lot of being honest with yourself and yeah. figuring out, okay, what what do I enjoy? What do I love doing? What am I also good at? Yeah, because you you should be decent at what you're, you you what you want to pursue. I mean, I believe uh, I heard somewhere that if you love doing something but you're not very good at it, it's called a hobby. And for <laughs> me, that's golf. You know, I I love to golf, get out on the the course with some friends, but. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to do that as a career yeah. and no matter how much I get coached, I don't know if I could ever get there, mm. but that's, you know, a whole different story. So, yeah. um, well, but yeah, so those are some of the things that students should think about. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to kind of the list of things that if a student is either delaying applying because they think they have some, some deficiencies in an application or they, have gone through an application cycle and have tangible data that says I didn't get in anywhere, there must be something potentially wrong with my application. Should a student that let's just go rapid fire yes, no here, or or maybe so, and, and we'll we'll dive into those. Should a student think about a post back or an SMP program if they lack clinical experience? That's their only problem. No. Okay. No, if that's the only thing that that division, yep. no, you can get that for free. Yeah. Okay. Should a student think about an SMP or a postback program if they only lack shadowing? No. Okay. You can get that on your own. <laughs> should Should a student think about an SMP or postback program if they have great grades but a terrible MCAT score? No. You You go find an MCAT coach. Go find a coach. Go find a course. Okay. Yep. Should a student. Potentially, and this one is one of those well maybes. Uh, should a student be looking at an SMP or a postback if they have clinical, they have shadowing, good grades, good MCAT score, but they lack research? And we all know that research is kind of hard to get if you're outside of an institution. Sure, absolutely. That one it probably would be one of those yes, no, maybe responses, only because it depends on what type of medical school that they're applying to. Because some medical schools out there have no preference or real consideration. It's not part of their admission process that yeah. students have research. And I think, again, this is where, you know, uh, students and families not knowing how to correctly interpret data. Because when they look at the NSAR and they see the percentage of students who have matriculated. It's 90 and it's plus a percent. High percent. Right. A percent of uh, research experience. And therefore, that must be the reason. <laughs> and, and that's not accurate. So. Uh, are you saying correlation doesn't equal causation, June? Is Cause, that causation. what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I think this is where it also depends on the student because um, the reality is, I mean, those of us in big cities, whether it be Denver, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, 
we're very fortunate where we have, we have access and our students have access to plenty of research opportunities. But for our students in rural areas where there isn't a, you know, higher ed institution with, you know, teaching hospitals and research facilities, that could definitely be uh, very limiting. So, mm -hmm. but again, if their goal is to go to a, a more clinical face patient centered uh, medical education, then there's no reason to seek out a post-bac SMP purely just for their research uh, opportunity. In fact, um, I think another way that students can really get those uh, research experience is there's tons of summer research mm -hmm. opportunities. I mean, um, KGI, when we, we have a, a program called SURE, um, I believe uh, application deadline has passed, but it's the summer undergrad research experience. So uh, students uh, around the area who maybe are first generation college students, so they can't just ask mom and dad, hey, can you connect me and introduce me to your colleagues uh, to do some research? Uh, there are these summer programs that they can uh, find out. And in fact, on our very own website, the NAAHP, uh, the National Association for the Advisors and the Health Professions, there is a summer programs and opportunities database that students can use. Hmm. And some of them are maybe shadowing, some of them are maybe more clinical in nature, but I know there's also uh, research uh, experience and opportunities. So that might be something worth checking out for students. Okay. Um, so we worked through shadowing, clinical, uh, research, um, Let's talk about MCAT score. So it sounds like as we kind of narrow things down, here's a, here's another one. Should a student look at a post-bac or an SMP if they need letters of recommendations from science professors? Ooh, that one uh, is also a nuanced response because if you're a traditional age student, then yes, yeah, you just got out of undergrad or you maybe have been out of school a couple of years. The expectation is that you have letters from instructors. Why? Because you're going to go to med school and you're going to be a student all over again. Um, I know that the sort of temptation is to say, uh, can I just get three clinical letters, right? So I had these two doctors and this nurse practitioner that got to know me really well. And why can't I just submit those three letters? Well, the, the reality is you're going to be in medical school being a learner, being a student. So that's why you need those faculty letters. So um, I know that uh, there are students out there that actually will choose to attend SMPs and uh, postback programs for that very reason. Um, how to, and how do I come to that conclusion? Because I know there's programs out there that guarantee a letter with their program, Ooh. which um, I have I have some opinions about, which, you know, <laughs> I mean, that it sounds great on the surface, but I think we have to be very clear to the students that, listen, you yeah. are guaranteed a letter, but we don't guarantee the content of that letter. <laughs> and I think sometimes some, sometimes students get a little too anxious and, and you know, overly enthusiastic and they'll, they'll assume that it's going to be a stellar letter, which uh, obviously would be a mistake because yeah. you have to work for that. Yeah. And so um, that one, I would say, you know, I guess it depends. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. yeah. Maybe for someone who's very interested in a specific medical school program, should someone think about a postback or an SMP that has linkage to that program with typically a guaranteed interview, but maybe even a guaranteed acceptance? Right, right. Uh, that is, uh, I like this question because it's one of the questions that um, I am not hesitant to have, even with prospective students. I will tell students, listen, if that is your dream medical school and that school has 
a SMP, a post-bac, a bridge program, something where those students are going to get a little bit of spotlight put on them because after all, you're going to be either physically on their campus taking classes or you'll be taking classes with their med school faculty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's a great option. But again, only if that medical school is your top choice because that's, you know, you're kind of putting all your eggs into that one basket. Um, but if that is the basket you've always wanted <laughs> since you were five years old, yeah. then I think it's worth uh, putting it in that in it's that a, program. It's an expensive um, basket. It is. And, you know, that's one of the things that unfortunately is um, – you know, is a concern, the cost of the programs. And I know that, um, you know, especially in this healthcare system of ours, where cost and access, affordability is so important. So, you know, we throw, throw you know, post back and SMP programs into the system to make it, uh, you know, throw in some additional layers of barriers. Uh, that is certainly uh, a, a concern. Um, but that's where for me personally, I can't speak for my colleagues across the country. For me personally, uh, at KGI, I'm, I'm very fortunate that our program uh, offers students two options. Option number one is to get into med school mm-hmm. or PA. We have a, a post-bac pre-PA program as well. Um, that's one option. And the other option is if they don't get in or you know, just things don't work out for them in that regard, or actually the, ca- uh, the actual case is when students choose on their own volition that they're going to change their mind they can go get a job. They, mm-hmm. they find incredible careers with biotech and pharma companies because they have learned that they can use science to help people. And so that, that is a really cool aspect of the programs we have at KGI. And so for me, um, I, I love having that conversation with students like, what if, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that's important. I mean, when you're making that kind of an investment, you want to know all the possible you know, outcome scenarios because um, – you know, especially in today's economy, I mean, my goodness, everything is so expensive. Yeah, it is. All right. So I think we've narrowed down potentially if a student has grades that that question whether or not they are academically able to do well in medical school, that's when they should look at an SMP and postback program. Yes. Or another way to think about it is so um, I would say in the past three years, I've been seeing uh, more and more students with 3.7 around that tor- territory and 515, 517 in those areas. They're coming to our postback program. Oh, wow. Oh, I mean, hurts. look at the numbers. That's it hurts. Right. So that's why, you know, one of the ways that students, you guys should be thinking about this is what else can I bring to the table? What else do I have to offer? You know, I, I love food, love food. <laughs> so, um, I love potluck parties and I use that analogy quite often. You know, growing up, um, I would uh, get invited to uh, potluck parties where it's mostly the guys, right? And then there's like a co-ed potluck party. Um, I got to be honest, I, I prefer to go to the co-ed uh, potluck parties because that's where you have such a diverse array of cuisine and types of appetizers. You go to the guy's potluck party, I'm generalizing here, pizza, fried chicken, and fries, right? And so if you think about What's wrong with what that? you <laughs> cholesterol, um, <laughs> sodium, um, but you know, thinking about it in terms of a potluck party, you know, when, when you everybody brings something that's you know, something unique and to contribute to the overall sort of community. It just makes it that much more enjoyable. And I think this is where the irony is that, what is it? We have close to 7 billion people on this planet. Mm. 
there's no two people on this planet that are exactly identical, not even identical twins. Yep. But you know uh, where you find a bunch of identical people? The pre-med population. <laughs> they look so much alike. You know, probably a, a flagship state university, probably a, some type of a biological science major, probably did some shadowing or EMT or a scribe, uh, probably went to Central America for a summer, you know, did some tutoring or volunteer. I mean, it's just really interesting that students um, – and which kind of makes sense. I mean, I think when you don't know, um, you don't know. And so um, I think this is where uh, when advisors and, and you know um, – peers tell them things like follow your passion you got to do what you love it, it can be confusing it, it could be yeah. uh, unsettling and well what does that mean though yeah because i love to play video game i mean i can't put video game which is an interesting um you can topic in it of, so, you yes, can I, but but if if your application has very little clinical experience and you have like <laughs> six thousand hours of video games that's mm, right that's gonna look that's weird right. <laughs> yep and I'm so glad you said that because most of us would say, oh, no, you don't put that in a med school application. And I would say generally speaking, probably, especially because, you know, our, our most uh, precious resources are time. Mm-hmm. And so if you're playing six hours of video game a, a day, obviously, that's that's not a you know good conveying of your judgment. <laughs> um, but I did have one student. She was a professional video gamer. Heck yeah. She, yeah. She, she traveled. I mean, she would uh, travel around the country, if not the world, to compete. She had sponsors, and I think that's how she actually paid for her postback program. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's things like that. Now, what we're going to have is all your students who are listening to this are going to go become professional, you know, video gamers. Go do it. No, there there <laughs> is no recipe, and that's kind of like the biggest thing that I want students to recognize is all of you are so unique, and you just need to be yourself. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, th- there is this conception that. Uh, no, there's this, this is what you need to do to be successful. It's not a recipe. Yeah. Yeah. I I could, I could give every student out there some avocados, some red onions, some jalapeno, some lime, some salt, uh, and and some other good stuff and, and say, make me something. Some people make some guacamole. Some people make some sort of whatever. Um, just because you all have the same ingredients doesn't mean you're going to end up with the same, uh, dish at the end of the day, uh, which is the, the, uh, kind of metaphor analogy that I always like to, to think about. Um, it, it always, always, always like, and and students, and again, I don't blame them. They're trying their best. They, they want to live this dream, but there's a lot of lack of just critical thinking when someone goes, uh, onto like our, our Facebook group of the, the pre-med hangout and says, Hey guys, I got in. I thought I'd come say, uh, thank you for all the help just to the community saying, here are my stats. And I got in and thank you. And then everyone will pile on and go, what schools did you apply to? What school did mm. you get into? And, right. and, and the thinking that the recipe that they had just laid out of 3.6 and 505 and these many hours of this and that means that that's an automatic acceptance to that medical school. And, and it's just, it doesn't work that way. Right, right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I see and hear that all the time as well. Um, and I think part of that is, um, we, we are very, it's unsettling to, to not be able to know what's going to happen, right? When we always want to know, uh, we want a little bit of assurance and just, even if it could give us a, even if it's a false sense of uh, security, we seek it out. Mm-hmm. So when we see someone who has a certain GPA lower than ours 
MCAT score lower than ours, extracurriculars less impressive than ours, and they get in, we'll say, you know what, I like my chance. All of a sudden, now we're feeling really proud of, of ourselves. We we're feeling a lot more confident. But again, that's just not how it works. And yeah. so, um, yeah, so that's why I think, you know, one of the things going back to S&Ps and post program, um, especially for, for students who might be exactly at that point right now in their journey, is what should you be looking for? What, what are some things that might be worth sort of considering as uh, they uh, take a look at all these different programs? Because there's a new one being formed every week, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, there are. And so... So, no matter what program it is, yeah. they're going to be taking classes, right? They're yeah. Be taking classes. But so really here's, it's down to the advice. Here's Go a ahead. question from you, yep. for you. Uh, one of the most uh, biggest opinions that I have about this process are SMPs and other master's programs. Uh, and, may, and maybe more formal post-bac programs too. I don't, I don't know what KGI stance is. Uh, mm-hmm. That require an MCAT score to go yes. to the program. What are your thoughts yes. there and, and how should a student evaluate that? Sure, sure. Yes, it's true. There are programs out there that require um, an MCAT score in order to be considered for their program. Um, my thoughts on it is pretty straightforward. I think if you have a good score um, that you've already sort of taken, then certainly consider those programs that are looking for that MCAT score because you're going to be that much sort of, you know, uh, advantageous in their admission process. Mm-hmm. But for the student who doesn't have an MCAT score, um, I would really caution students against taking an MCAT so then they could apply to get into a post or SMP program. And also, I think one of the things I totally forgot to sort of clarify is there's two different sort of types of uh, post-bac programs. You have a career changer, because mm-hmm. I think we just assume, because you and I are in this space, that students watching this video would know, oh, it's an academic enrichment, academic enhancer. So all this conversation today is about the academic enhancer. So those of you that were sociology, communication, business majors, no science background whatsoever, you're going to need to find a post-bac program that's known as a career changer. So you'll be taking all the bio classes, chemistry, and so forth. So so coming back, um, so students who are looking at academic enhancer programs, the whole reason why you're looking for enhancement is because uh, you don't have a very strong, particularly impressive undergraduate record. So mm-hmm. to further jeopardize and risk taking an MCAT before you're ready to do your best is not in your best interest. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we've always had a, you know, test optional um, um, for me and my colleagues at KGI. We, we just want to see sort of the the aptitude of the standardized exam. Mm-hmm. So whether it's SAT, GRE, we've even accepted DAT, OATs, just to get a, get a sense. And that's only a small part. We do not base our decision purely on that or even 50% on that. It's just we want to get that overall picture, the whole holistic, you know, picture of the candidate. So, um, but yeah, so the short answer to that important question is um, really ask yourself if you're ready to do well on the MCAT, because if you're not, you do not want to rush it mm-hmm. just so then you could apply to a program to get yeah. into that program. Yeah, I, I talked to one specific program uh, during this uh, conference we were just at. And and they have a they require the MCAT and I gave them my opinion which I'm always happy to do, um, and and they they have a very low bar for the MCAT, and 
after talking with them, I understand why they use it. And it it makes sense to me. And so they're using it more uh, in terms of a really big speed bump to say, mm-hmm. are you willing to go through this? Uh, because a postback program is no joke. Right. And so if you're not willing to sit through an eight-hour test, then you're probably not willing to go through a year or two of a really rigorous postback or an SMP program, not yeah. willing to work really hard to put together an application, personal statement, all of that stuff, not willing to do everything necessary to hopefully be a successful medical school applicant, which is what they're hoping you become after going through their program so that they can say, hey, look at us. We look at all of our success in, in creating uh, future doctors. And that made sense to me. They have very, they're not looking for a good MCAT score. Their, their cutoff is very reasonable and, and low. They're just looking for someone who's willing to do it. And I was like, okay, got it. That makes yeah. sense. It's the other ones that are like, hey, you need at least a 510 to get into our program. I'm like, what? Right. What are you talking about? Right. So, right. anyway. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, thanks for sharing. I mean, I yeah. didn't realize there's some some programs out there. I mean, I'm very curious to see what that that uh, speed bump number is. I mean, is it 500? Is it Lower. Like 495? Yeah. So, yeah. No, I understand that. But, but you know, if, if I could play the devil's advocate, there are other ways to gauge whether someone's willing to you know, put in the investment, right? Yeah. There are other proxies that we can look at, but certainly I I understand it. Um, Yeah. It's just, I think for us, we have chosen not to require it. I think um, because for us, it's not so much the gauging, the commitment of the candidates as much as where do they need the help, right? Because if if, if the, the, um, the candidate uh, is just solely lacking in the area of MCAT, um, because that one score, um, I would tell them exactly what we've been talking about. You don't need a whole entire postback program. You just need MCAT prep. Yeah. And so I just I want to just clarify and identify the areas that students really need. And um, one way I would simplify the a good fit individual for our program is awesome, amazing B students. (laughs) And that's because just as we all know how competitive it is that there are so many qualified students that are not, you know, walking away without an acceptance every year. Mm. And it's really hard and difficult for students. You know, it's like, I, I, I've done all of these things, but I just don't know why. And um, at the end of the day, you can't take it personal. But yeah. it's difficult not to, right? Yeah. I mean, they've asked you what's your biggest fears and dreams and tell me about your innermost darkest secrets in your personal <laughs> statement. Yeah. How do you not take that personal? It it's 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 a very vulnerable state to be in when you just expose yourself like that and and then sure. to be kind of left out in the dark. Um yeah. it's hard. And yeah. to not scare students, I I kind of my my saying always is there's enough seats for the the good applicants. There are lots of people applying to medical school every year who have no business applying, whether it's bad grades, bad MCAT score, no experiences, all of that stuff. So it's very rare for me, at least in in the 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 stuff that I see, to see someone who I subjectively am like I have no idea why you didn't get in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
I'll leave it at that. June, um, let's let's leave the listener with a a good pitch on why they should look at KGI for their post back program. Yeah. Uh, sure. I would say probably the biggest, uh, you know, X factor for our program is we're an extremely small program with less than uh, 60. We have about 60 post-bac pre-med students. Um, and what myself and my colleagues really focus on is helping students be uncomfortable. That was not a computer glitch. You heard correct students to feel uncomfortable because through that discomfort is how our students are transformed. We really focus on more than just GPA boost, more than just you know MCAT boost, uh, but really helping students to really test and push themselves out of their comfort zone because that's how you're going to get better. And um, the other thing that I really love is that our students truly, truly are collaborative. They have to be. Yeah. It's it's unless they're collaborative, they're not going to be successful. So they're. Uh, outcome is tied very closely with that of their peers. And so they work very closely together. And rumor on the street by the med schools are they love students who know how to work well with others. And so that works out very, very nicely for our students and alums. So that's it. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. June Kim from Keck Graduate Institute out in California, Southern California. Go check them out if you are potentially interested in a post-bac program. Hopefully this episode maybe saved you some money, made you realize that you don't have to take any sort of SMP or post-bac if there are other very specific things in your application that need to be fixed and your academic ability is not one of them. Hope you have a great week. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com. Go sign up for that free account and check out their full-length resources to help you make sure that you're ready to take your MCAT. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.